Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. What is going on, everybody? For those I do not know, my name is Nick, and I'm one of the pastors here at New Vision. And let me say good morning to those watching online as well. It's always amazing to see life change through the waters of baptism and just seeing what God has done. That never, ever, ever gets old. And last weekend, we were able to see God do something really, really amazing with about 9,000 people coming through the doors of New Vision either here or at our campus in Buchanan. It truly has been an amazing thing. But we can, could not have done that without the help of our volunteers. So if you guys would join with me in just thanking them for serving and allowing us to be able to engage 9,000 people. Also, I want to say thank you to you because y'all managed to navigate the parking lot and traffic even though we are down a parking lot. Now, you might have said some mean things in your car, but you didn't say that to any officers. Praise God. I'm glad none of y'all got arrested leaving, the, leaving church last week. That would have been bad. Praise God for it. But um, truly, truly amazing what God is up to and what he's doing in our midst. A couple weeks ago, we got to see something pretty amazing, not nearly as amazing as Easter weekend, but pretty cool in its own right. I just want you to know I am not a golf fan. I don't like playing golf. The reason I don't like playing golf because it does not make me more like Jesus. It's something altogether different. And so I feel like I'm asking for forgiveness more so than being reflective of Christ. And so, but I do keep up with the Super Bowl of golf, which I call the Masters. It takes place in Augusta, Georgia. And you truly, if you don't ever watch golf, you kind of keep up with the Masters. Well, Sunday, the eve of my birthday, Sunday, April 14th, Something crazy was happening that hadn't happened since 2005. Tiger Woods, I know y'all probably never heard of him. He's a golfer. He's pretty good. Tiger Woods on April 14th this year put on the red Nike turtleneck, faux turtleneck. I didn't know those were still cool, but whatever. Um, He put it on and he was in a position that possibly he could win this thing called the Masters, the Super Bowl of golf. And if you had not heard, this happened that weekend. Now, look at that picture, Tiger. 14 years has been rough on that brother, right? (laughs) Woo! Like, I mean, back in 2005, he had a head full of hair. It's like, Tiger, where'd your hair go? Anyways, um, forgive me, Lord. Um, But so many people said that that was not going to happen. They are recorded saying, no way, no how will, Ma- will Tiger Woods ever be where he was. No way, no how will he ever win a major again. No way, no how will he ever win this thing called the Masters. And yet we watched him do so. And I'm going to be really, really transparent with you. I think for me in my walk, I think in my heart of hearts, in the innermost part of my being, I typically more resonate with the naysayers than I do with those who believe the best. I think for me, a part of me having this optimistic outlook and always thinking that everything is going to be good is because if you know anything about this thing called the Enneagram, it lets you know your personality type and all this stuff. But it gives some like deep stuff to you. And I'm a three, which means I'm a performer, which means I think a lot of the times I am always optimistic because I feel like I'm supposed to be. But I think in the stillness and in those quiet moments, 
I'm probably more like a naysayer, like those who were saying that Tiger Woods would never, ever, ever get back to where he was. And I know it's crazy, but sometimes after the Easter season is over, I have this expectation of, yeah, Jesus did this amazing thing and he overcame the grave. But then it gets to the week after Easter and I'm still living a life as if the tomb is not empty. I sometimes am so excited about Easter weekend, but then when I walk away from the weekend, I still live a life that's not expectant or hopeful. And maybe you find yourself there as well. Over the next few moments, we are going to spend some time remembering that the tomb is still empty even today, everybody. Jesus is still reigning and ruling, and he is still bringing life in the places where we don't think life is possible. He is still redeeming things that we think are beyond redemption, and he is still reaching people that we think are far beyond his grasp. And if we can walk in this posture, I think it changes the way we navigate the journey. And so over the next few moments, I invite you to be open and to be be reminded that Jesus is not in the tomb. And the ramifications of that in our own lives are great. So right where you are, I invite you to pray with me. Dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are no longer in the tomb, and thank you that you overcame the grave, and thank you that because of what you did some 2,000 years ago, you are still in the process of doing even today in 2019. Lord, may we believe that your completed work is still bringing life. May we believe that even in the most unlikely of places, you can still show up, and you can still move, and you can still change the atmosphere. And so, Father... May we, the next moment, have a posture of believing that you still are the God that is bringing dead things back to life. So we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, your laptops, your Palm Pilots, whatever it is you read God's word with, some of y'all are like, what's a Palm Pilot? That's a story for another day. It was before a smartphone got smart, but anyways... We're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel is found right before Daniel, where we're going to pick up with this prophet Ezekiel is his people. The Israelites are in the midst of exile. They are, have been captured by a foreign people. They are not making their own rules and regulations. They are in a foreign land still trying to live out what God's called them to live. It is a bleak, bleak place. And Ezekiel is going to be shown this vision, and God's going to reveal something to Ezekiel that he's going to be called to share. And God is going to reveal that he's still at work, and he is still moving even in the most dire of circumstances and situations. So Ezekiel, chapter 37, beginning in verse 1, says this. The hand of the Lord was on me. And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. Pause right here for a moment. So Ezekiel is led by the Spirit of God and the hand of God to this place, to this valley of dry bones. This valley that was full of bones. Don't forget that God led him to this place. Verse 2. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very 
dry. So when we read these first two verses, we're forced to ask ourselves this question, why out of all the places that God could have led Ezekiel, why would he lead him to such a desolate, dry, devoid of life kind of a place? Here is what is true in this context, but here's also what is true in our own. There will be times where we are led to the most unlikely of places. And it could be a couple of reasons behind that. It could be because of our own choices. We decide to take the reins of our life and navigate our life the way that we thought it should go, and then we ended up in a place in the valley that we never intended to be, but yet based on our circumstances and choices, we ended up in said place. Maybe it was the choices of others that led you there. Maybe you were thinking that you were going to be married forever, but the person who promised to love you said that they didn't want to love you anymore, and so now you find yourself in a place of dryness and a valley. Or maybe you were somebody that goes, I don't know how I got here, but I don't like where I am, and why would God lead me to such a desolate place? N.T. Wright kind of frames this up very well in a quote that I like, but I also don't like. He says this, we are not to be surprised if living as Christians brings us to the place where we find we are at the end of our own resources and that we are all called to rely on the God who raises the dead. The reason I don't like this quote because it reveals something to me that I do not like. And I'm going to tell you something, if, if you're someone who really likes to feel like in control and likes to be in control of your life, you are not going to like what I'm about to say. And I want you to fully know this. I don't care if you like it or not. Just want us to be clear. So if you write me an email, be like, Nick, I don't like the truth you told me. It don't make it any less true, everybody. But here is the truth. Are you ready for it? Some of y'all, I mean, some of y'all mad already, praise God. Here we go. You are not in control. Let me say that again. You are not in control. Now, for some of us, we almost bowed up like, oh, you don't know me. Here's the good news. I don't even have to know you. I know me. I know that I am someone that likes to feel like I'm in control of all things all the time. But if the truth is going to be revealed, I am not in control, even when I feel like I am. And, for, and hear me, that's not a negative. That should be freeing, everybody. Why? Because we know who is. Listen, we want the king to be in charge of the kingdom. You really do. You don't want to move the king off his throne and be like, let me sit here. Because listen, that has not worked out well for you. It hasn't. And you might lie to yourself, well, this isn't that bad. If you have to put a clarifier in front of the statement, it's not a good place to be. Well, it could be worse. Like, that's supposed to make you feel bad. Ah, it could be worse. Yeah, it could be. But listen, the king knows what he is doing, and the king is in control. So we don't have to be. And we can let that pressure leave us because we're no longer having to feel like we have to order the stars, the moon, and everything else because that is not our seat. So that means that sometimes the unexpected is going to happen. 
I have some friends, a guy I have known since I was a freshman in high school. He's probably been my best friend for 20 plus years. A couple weeks ago, he, we were again texting. He texted me on Monday the 15th, and he was like, hey, man, my wife is headed to the hospital. I'm going back to get some clothes for her. She got this rash over the weekend. It's just gotten worse. We don't know what's going on, but hopefully it'll be fine. And I was like, well, man, I'm praying for you. Tuesday came along. He was like, Nick, it's getting worse. We don't know what's going on. The doctors are trying to figure it out. She's getting worse. She's more swollen. The rash is spreading. We don't know what's going on. Wednesday morning we talked, and it got serious really quickly. I called him, and he's like, Nick, me and my wife had a conversation this morning, and she told me all the things I need to do in case God calls her home. See, in that moment, I wish I had like a magic bullet that would make everything go away, right? I wish that I was the one in control. I wish that in that moment I could have said, well, well, hey, Justin, I want you to know that everything is going to be fine. Like, yes, God is in control, but I didn't know how the circumstances would, would work out. So I said, well, man, we're going to pray for you. So we began to pray. His community there began to pray. Our staff here began to pray, and we were praying, and we were praying, and we were praying. That afternoon, he sent me this text. Hey, Nick, it looks like the swelling's going down about 15%. Huh. Later on in that evening, he said, hey, Nick, the swelling has gone down 30%. Huh. The next day, hey, Nick, the swelling has gone down 50%. And then Saturday came along, and they got to go home. Let's go. Hear, hear me, though, everybody. It doesn't always work out that way. Not because he is not able, because it's never a question of God's ability but God has a different perspective than you and I have. And so sometimes from our seat, we go, hey, God, you really should work it out like this. And he goes, no, 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 no. I want you to know that I have a plan and I'm working this plan out. Just trust me. But it's hard to trust in the middle of a dry valley, isn't it? It's hard to trust when all the evidence says otherwise. It's hard to trust that God is still able to do something in the midst of even the bleakest of circumstances. But this is true. God is always able. He is able to do something that you don't think he can do. He is able. Ezekiel verse 3, chapter 37. Verse 3 says this. He asked me. Talking about God. This is Ezekiel talking about God. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. What a safe answer this brother gives. <laughs> hey, Ezekiel, can these dry bones live again? And Ezekiel goes, God, you know, you know, you, you know. Amen. Right? <laughs> And here's the essence of the question that God is asking Ezekiel. Ezekiel, do you believe that I am able to do the impossible? Ezekiel, do you believe that I am able to do the impossible? And I think that's a question we got to wrestle with a little bit. Do you believe that God is able to do the impossible. It's a hard question. Let me ask it a different way. Do you believe that God is able to restore that relationship? Do you believe that God is still able to move in your finances? 
Do you believe that God is able to speak to that son or daughter that has run the opposite way of everything they know? Do you believe that he is still able to bring them back home? Do you believe that God is still able to do the impossible? I wonder if you asked the people that went here 10 years ago at New Vision, and you said, do you believe that 9,000 people will walk through these doors and we'll have another campus? I think the, the answer would go something like this. Well, I believe that God knows the answer. But see, I love looking at evidence like that of seeing 9,000 people coming to the doors to hear about the resurrection of Jesus. God is still in the business of doing the impossible. Do you believe that you can make it through and walk through this illness or whatever is facing you? Do you believe that God is still the God of the impossible? Verse number four. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. Here's what God tells to Ezekiel. He says, Ezekiel, I want you to preach the truth to these dry bones. These bones that are very dry, that are very dead. I want you to speak the truth to these bones. Now listen, I have to tell you, I feel Ezekiel on this because I've been to some places where it feels like I'm speaking to some dry bones, everybody. Where you're like, Lord, I don't know if anyone's alive in that congregation. And God gives me the invitation, preach anyways. And God has given Ezekiel this invitation. I want you to preach to these dry bones because you're going to see what I am able to do. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. See, Ezekiel, we're going to see this in just a moment. Ezekiel is going to do the very thing that God invites him to do. What I love is that Ezekiel doesn't just keep talking about, oh, dry bones, they can, they can do it. Oh, I, I could speak to them. No, no, no. Ezekiel takes a step. Here's the thing we need to be reminded of about faith. Faith is belief in action. Faith is belief in action. What do I mean by that? I'll give you a prime example. I am really, I've gotten really, really good at telling people the truth and telling people what they should do. Then the Lord in his goodness, sometimes it don't feel like his goodness, will give me an opportunity to walk out what I have said. It's great, y'all. Right, even over the course of preparing this message of going, listen, God, you are still the God of the impossible. Then the Lord start bringing up stuff. Well, Nick, do you trust me here? And you're like, why are you getting all personal, Lord? This is a message for the people. And he goes, yeah, you're one of my people. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. See, faith is this step. See, I can be very good at writing a blog or posting on Facebook about how good God is and how he is faithful and never, ever take a step into the invitation he's given me. I can get really good at that. But Ezekiel was in this position where he was asked this question of God, hey, do you think I can still do the impossible? And Ezekiel goes, well, God, you know. And then Ezekiel gets the opportunity to go, 
I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. It's easier to just believe without taking a step. But guys, I don't believe that that is faith in action. It's a faith that's good for the ears because here's what is true. Your words have more weight when they are seen in action. It's amazing how that happens. It's it's amazing how I can preach a message, but then the Lord will give me an opportunity and I will see the truth that I was preaching about, and it has more weight because I can go, here's how I know this truth, not just something I read, something I walked out. Let me just tell you. There's evidence of that. But faith is belief in action. In Daniel, we're introduced to three characters, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you ever get the opportunity, you should go hear Tony Evans' message on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's good, y'all. And what I love about this, these are three guys who are living in exile, who are living in the land of Babylon, and they've been called to bow down, and they say, we're not going to bow down. And so the consequence for doing that is you get thrown into a fiery furnace. And so on the cusp of them being thrown into a fiery furnace, they say this amazing, amazing thing. They go, listen here, king, I want you to know something, that our God is able to save us from the flames. And then they say something else that I think is more amazing. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down and worship you because we know that God is still reigning and ruling. That is faith in action. It's belief with feet. Verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, as I was preaching, as I was speaking the truth, there was a noise. Did y'all hear that? I don't know if y'all heard that. Let Let me say it again. So I prophesied as I was commanded. Remember, Ezekiel's in a valley with a bunch of dead bones, everybody. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise. I'm going to be real with you guys. If I'm Ezekiel, I'm not going to know how this story is going to end. Let's just be real. Like, I'm the guy in the scary movie. I'm not looking for the scary noise. You can have the house. You can have them. I'm going to trip them as a matter of fact. But here's Ezekiel in this valley of dry bones, and he sticks around to see what the noise is. No, no, no. Mm -mm. God, you're going to do something. I'm going to hear about it, though. But guys, don't miss it. There is life that begins. There was a whisper of what God was going to do, and Ezekiel was in the midst of it because he was present. And he's preaching to these bones, and then there was a noise. Then there was a rattling sound. And the bones came together bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Here's what we learn from this text. Restoration is a process, everybody. Hear me. 
If I'm the writer of this story, you know what I, how I would have written it? I spoke and then bodies appeared. <laughs> like all of a sudden, like I said the word and all of a sudden these bodies appeared. But here's the truth. Restoration is a process, everybody. Look, let's go back to the tomb. Jesus was in the tomb for three days. Everybody. God could have called Jesus up whenever he wanted to. It wasn't because it took three days for you to bring someone back to life. No, God is the writer of the rules. And what do we see through the resurrection process? That restoration is a process. We are all tempted to go, hey, I want you to do it and do it right now and bring it to completion right now. But that's not the way the Lord works. Restoration is a process. Sanctification is a process. The process of you becoming more and more like Jesus is a daily stepping and a daily walking. You don't just look like Jesus all of a sudden. It's a journey to get there. But hear me on this. Just because the body has not been fully raised, don't ignore the noise of what God is doing and how he is working right now. See, for some of us, there's a noise going on, but we don't see it because it's not what we want. We want the picture. We want the reality to be changed. We don't want to hear whispers of what God is doing. Don't miss the noise. Verse 8. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come breathe from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. He speaks to these bodies that were restored, and life came to them. This breath of life that is, that is referred to here in Ezekiel is this word called ruach. It stands for the breath of life. We see this breath of life enter the lungs of another person in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Let me remind you of what that says. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Hear me, everybody. God is an expert at taking dirt, muck, and mire, breathing life into it and making something new. That is a good reminder for all of us. Because I think for some of us, we go, you know, is it really possible. I'm too far gone. I'm too dirty. I'm too unclean. Listen, the king does his best work in the mud. See, he's so good at making this mess a masterpiece, everybody. And we're reminded of that. We just look at the resurrection. It was a hot mess in case you missed it. Jesus had been walking and preaching for three years, and now it appeared that this king who said he was the was God in flesh was dead. This is not how we drew up. This is a mess. And then God, only what God can do. What does he do? He takes the mess and he makes a masterpiece, y'all. Hear me. He's still doing it today. God is still breathing life into his creation. 
He is still bringing dead things back to life. He is still restoring what once was lost. He is still working and he is still on the throne. But sometimes in my walk, I forget that truth. But listen, his spirit is eager to move and bring things back to life. The word and the breath of God changes the voids in our life. The word of God changes atmospheres. The word of God creates world. The word and the breath of God is able to do something that's far beyond what we could ever hope for or imagine. Even bringing dead things back to life. Even things that are really dead. Verse 11. We'll finish up with these last few verses. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are all dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. If you're an underliner, this might be something good to underline. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. We read a text like this and we go, Nick, is that still possible Is new life really, really possible? Is restoration really possible even in the deepest, darkest of valleys, even the driest of seasons? Is God still able to bring refreshment to dry places? And I would say yes. And then you might say to me, then prove it. Okay, I'd love to. The tomb's empty. Let me say that again. The tomb that held the body of the Savior of the world. It held him for three days, and then on the third day, and only a way that God could do, he mic dropped on the enemy and said, it is finished, it is done. Death, where is your sting? Because my son just got up. And so because of that, thank you, because of that, new life is still possible today. In the most unlikely of situations, in the most dim and darkest of circumstances, God can still bring life. He is still able to breathe the breath of God into dead spaces and bring to life things that we never thought could be resurrected. We get to breathe in the presence of God. I love this. To exhale the essence of God. Ruach in, the breath of God in, Ruach out. It's just breathing. We breathe in his goodness and his breath and we breathe out his goodness. We get to play a part at reminding those around us that hope is found in Jesus and that hope is put in the right place and that all things are still possible with God. He is still making things new, 
He is still taking the messes of our lives and making something that's a masterpiece out of what was given. I had the privilege a couple of weeks ago to meet a couple named Bud and Carol. Bud is 72 and Carol is 70. I met them in Salmon Valley, Idaho. I had never been there before, y'all. There are real cowboys there, praise God. I know that there are real cowboys there because I spoke at Cowboy Church. I know, laugh to yourself. You're thinking, this at Cowboy Church. <laughs> the Lord has a sense of humor. But I don't know if you've ever met people where you're around them and you go, I, I just want to hang out with them more. It's like the Holy Spirit just comes off of them and you're like, yeah, you, just, you were just engulfed in the aroma of Jesus just coming off of their life. And I remember sitting there talking to them, and they drove me back to Missoula, Montana, from Salmon Valley, Idaho, and I just got to hear their story. And they said this to me, which blew my mind. But it's like, uh, you know, I've been retired for a while, and, and by the way, like, he used to disarm nuclear weapons. What? Who? I never knew that was a job description. Like, how do you get that job? But anyways, and he would do all kinds of crazy stuff, and He's like, you know, I'm retired now, Nick. And he's like, I feel like the Lord is calling us to our next step. And I'm like, okay. And I'm thinking it was like, be nice to people. I don't know. Be a greeter at Walmart. Forgive me, older people. I love you. But I just, I didn't know. Then he said something to me that has forever made me question how I judge people. He said, Nick, I feel the Lord's calling us to the mission field. Excuse me? He's like, well, I can't find where the Lord says he's done with me when I still have breath in my lungs. And so we want to agree with him and be obedient. I went, oh, praise God. And it challenged me to every part of my being because here is a guy and here is a woman that said, you know what? You are still making things new. You are still using me. There are those that tell me that my story must end and it must end like this, but I'm here to tell you, Nick, that God is still breathing life into our lungs, and as long as we have that breath, we are going to bring it, breathe out the essence of God. And I just went, okay, bud, and Carol. He's like, yeah, so we're praying. We're having to go through all this paperwork. He's like, because you know we're old. <laughs> but he's like, I'm just telling you, we, we've got to be obedient. And I thought to myself, these two individuals are going to be used mightily in the kingdom of God because they already have been. Here are two people that go, you know what? Listen, though my flesh might grow weaker, you are still doing something new within me. You are still using me in ways that I could never hope or imagine. And I'm telling you, as I looked at this couple who might be Older in years, man, they still have a zeal for the Lord that's unsurpassed by any young person I've ever met. And I just thought to myself, I want some of that. And as they were breathing in this essence, this presence of God, they were breathing out the essence of God into my own life. See, Jesus had different ways of explaining this. One of the ways he would use he would use kind of the drink of the time, which was wine. And he would talk about wine and talk about the crushing of the wine and the grapes. He would talk about all kinds of things with his wine. But one of the things he says in Luke chapter 5 is he's talking about wine and wine skins. 
And he said this. He said, you know what? New wine can't be held in old wineskins because old wineskins are dry. They're not pliable. They can't move. They can't be filled again. But new wineskins, I tell you, they can be filled with this new wine, which in essence is my spirit and all of my goodness. I am filling these new wineskins up with new wine. And here's the bonus. These new wineskins that I have made new and I have put myself fully within them, they get to pour out the essence and the goodness and to nourish those around them as well. Hear me, everyone. You and I are carriers of hope. You and I are vessels of the living spirit of God. You and I should have a posture where we go, even when the valley is dry, we know that refreshment is coming because we look to the empty tomb and know that there is nothing too impossible for my God. And so here in just a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to sing this truth. It's a song I don't think we've ever done here before. It's called New Wine. And what it's talking about is like, listen, through the pressing, through the crushing, through what appears to be a horrible, horrible method to make wine. God, you are making something new and you are doing something new. And so, Father, I know that you are able to do the impossible even when it seems like you are not. Here's the invitation during the song. You can sit. You can stand. You can kneel. You can raise your hands. You can cry. You can do whatever it is you need to do. But here's what I hope you will do. I hope that you will fix your eyes on the completed work of Jesus and allow that breath of life to fill you up and prepare you for the journey ahead. Or maybe, maybe for you, you're someone that has never, ever accepted the gift that Jesus gave us of his salvation through a cross that was overcome and through death that was defeated. Wherever you are and whatever the response, there is freedom here. If you would, bow your heads. Lord, I am reminded about what you said in Jeremiah chapter 32. It says this. May we pray with those from many years ago. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? Father, in these next few moments and the days that come after this, may we trust and believe that there is nothing too hard for you. Because, Lord, we see the evidence of an empty tomb and a cross that was overcome and an enemy who has been defeated. So we know that you are making things new and we know that you're filling us up with this new wine, with your breath, with your life, with your presence so that we can walk in step with you, Father. And through the overflow, maybe just maybe through your spirit is provide a drink for those around us as we carry this hope and this gospel. So, Father, we love you. Father, we thank you. 
And Father, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlife.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.